Welcome to the Groundswell Podcast, produced by Faith First. With so much division in our world right now, we want to give people a resource to help us navigate the divisiveness. We believe there's a better way to live that allows us to not get caught up in division. We believe that when we put our faith first and divisive topics second, we can cross over divides to build unity and understanding with those around us. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast and that you'll keep coming back for more. Live faith first. Well, welcome to the Groundswell Podcast. I'm Elliot Sands, Executive Director of Faith First, and I'm with author Letitia Wheeler. Letitia is the author of Half Read, which is a book about uh, finding unity in a divided world. Letitia, how are you doing today? I'm awesome, Elliot. Thanks for having me today. Yeah, no, I'm super excited. I read your book, and it was me like uh, so much fun to read your story, and I'm really excited to get to talk through that a little bit here today. Awesome. I'm, I'm excited too. I can't wait to hear what you liked. <laughs> <laughs> well, I will start with the whole Taylor Dane thing. Yes. <laughs> uh, reading through and you threw out just three or four like bands that you liked. Yes. It's literally the week before my wife and I bought tickets to go see Taylor Dane. And then we saw her about two weeks ago now. So super fun. So amazing. Good fun it's show. So amazing. So. You know, it's interesting when you write a book and you think who will care about these little details, right? <laughs> every, every little word. And there you go. Taylor Dane. <laughs> something you go. to you. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, Letitia, would you give us the cliff notes of your life? Where were you born and raised? You know, tell us a little bit about your upbringing. What brings you here today? Awesome. Yeah. So a little bit of everywhere. So I was, um, I was raised by a biracial, interracial couple. My mother is white. My father is black. And I'm an 80s child. And uh, the reason that's important is because there were not a ton of mixed or biracial children when I was growing up in the 80s. And so that uh, created a lot of different dynamics, even like there was no hair products for me in most of the stores that we shopped at. Right. But, you know, my dad worked for Boeing and Boeing would lay off and hire every few years. And so we moved around quite a bit. And so I went to approximately 13 different schools by the time I was 15 in three different states. When I say different, I mean, they were different politically, economically, socially, racially, religiously. And so I went to schools that were all white schools. I went to schools that were all black schools. I went to schools in rural areas and urban areas and city areas and in the country. And um, there were schools that I went to that my best friends were Asian or Hispanic. And it just really spanned the gamut. And because I came from a biracial family, I had a German white grandmother and I would spend Thanksgiving at her house and eat pumpkin pie and listen to classical music. But then there would be Christmases or Thanksgivings that I would spend with my black grandmother, who we affectionately call Big Mama. And we didn't eat pumpkin pie. We ate sweet potato pie at her house and we'd listen to blues. And so I had this very rich and diverse opportunity uh, of life experiences just between my family members. I had a ton of aunts and uncles and cousins on my dad's side and had some on my mother's side as well. And so um, I lived this life of uh, diversity and what I would say half breed, you know, I had my foot on one side of the spectrum, really majority of my life. I had a grandmother that was Methodist, one that was Catholic. My parents were non-denominational, but we went to a Baptist church. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I had, I didn't have an option, but to live a very diverse life and uh, understanding of different perspectives. And so um, my, my German grandmother 
was born and raised in East Germany, and she actually had to escape the through the East, um, the Berlin Wall to escape, you know, the division and the Nazi regime there. And then my black grandmother raised, you know, 15 black children in the segregated South as well. And so both of my grandmothers were these great pillars in my life that helped me understand that there are obstacles and an enemy really that want to um, segregate and divide and limit who you are. And I learned at a very early age that no, no obstacle that a man would try to put in place would ultimately hold me back from the destiny that God had in my life. And so that's what you know, brought me full swing into my adult life now in, in my 40s of, of really standing for unity and uh, against division. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Now that must be, it's so interesting to have that dichotomy, yeah. especially where you have family who was in Germany, like actually lived in Germany and you right. have kind of that culture that you, you live into and then the black culture and, and yes. black culture in the South is different from a lot of other places in the U.S. too, right? And right. so Absolutely. That's, that is incredible. So that kind of leads us to what prompted you to write this book. I, I, it might be self-explanatory, but I'd love to <laughs> kind of hear a little bit about how that happened and, and yeah. kind of the, the beginning of that. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's interesting because when I think back at the time when I was sitting down and decided to write this book, if I'm being honest with you, Elliot, I had no idea what I was about to write. I had no idea. And I, I wrote the book in 2018. And there's a practice that I have at the beginning of every year where I I pray and just say, hey, Lord, what do you have for me this year? What do you want me to walk out? What are the assignments on my life? And I heard clearly to write a book. Now, I didn't know really what the book would be about. I had an unction. I had some idea that I think that it had to do with my story, but I really didn't know to what degree or how deep you're it would teaching. go. You're not an English teacher. You're not like your no. day job is not writing books. You're, you're never have written a book in my life. Okay, um, so. In fact, in my English class, because I moved it around so often, I moved from Louisiana my freshman year where I was getting an A in English and I moved my sophomore year to north of Seattle and I was getting a D in English. I had not changed. Nothing I had done had changed, but the environments I were in had changed. And that just gives you an idea, right? And that goes to a lot of the conversations I even have in this you know, conversation of injustice and differences and oppression and such. But I had never written a book. So no, I wasn't in English. I was working in insurance for the last 20 years and heavily involved in my church, but never had I written a book or thought I would ever do such a thing. So you're right. So when I heard write a book, I thought, are you kidding me, God? What am I, what am I gonna write about? And don't you remember my English experience? I was getting a D. In fact, my teacher used my paper as an example of how not to write a paper. That was her lesson that day. It was how to not write a paper. <laughs> and so, but what I real what I had experienced up to that point, Elliot, is 2017 was a time in our country where it was pre-2020, but it was during the time of the NFL and standing versus kneeling and Callan Kaepernick, if you kind of remember that time frame. And there was a lot of just, you know, division going on at that time. And I found myself there were, I felt prompted like never before, never in my life had I felt these prompts to enter into conversations professionally, personally, in ministry of sharing what ultimately was just my life experience. It seemed like a no brainer to me 
how to walk in unity between black, white, Republican, Democrat, Baptist, Methodist, because it was a life that I'd always lived. I, I, I didn't know any different. And what I realized is I was given a key down to my DNA to really unlock doors that my peers or my counterparts didn't have the perspective or have the, the blessing to do. And I was told by, you know, a white coworker, white male coworker, he, he called me, he calls me LT. That's a, a nickname I have from those that are close to me. He said, LT, I believe you because I genuinely believe that you love both black and white because of your, your, your history, your experience, your family, and I can trust you. And so he was able to receive from me probably something that someone else that was not a white male could have, should have said that he would not have taken as truth or reality or had compassion for that perspective. And then vice versa, I found that I was able to walk into a room of all black and they too were accepting of my perspective because one, I was half black and this dynamic. So I had this dynamic where I had this key to unlock doors, you know, on maybe both sides of the perspective or both sides of the tracks, right. That maybe others weren't able to. And so when I heard write a book, I realized, I think it has something to do with this calling that I'm feeling that I'm starting to share that I would have never been willing to share up to this point. Wow. That was very cool. Yeah. uh, yeah, I am a 49er fan, so. <laughs> and I'm a Seahawk fan, so we can still be in unity uh, at LA. Right? Look at that. Look at that. <laughs> <laughs> but definitely remember the the, Kaeper- the Kaepernick, you know, yes. uh, conflict around that. And, and just sitting around and having conversations with friends around, like, is this right? Is it not right? Mm-hmm. You know, should we do this? Should this be in sports? You know, kind of a lot right. of the conversation. So I love that you kind of recognize that even in the midst of those conversations, you can speak into different communities that say, hey, you know, maybe maybe she has an insight that I, I don't have because I don't, I'm not, you know, right. I'm not black or I'm not white or whatever. That's that might right. be. So that's, yeah. that is very cool. Now, at, at Faith First, we talk a lot. I'm going to kind of transition this a little bit here to identity. Um, and I'm, I find yours very interesting because you really, like you say, a lot of people, when it comes to race especially, your identity, it, it's usually one. I mean, sometimes it's two, uh, but often yeah. you kind of settle into one of something. And you've gotten to kind of you know, ride both those trains or whatever the, the right analogy is there. Right. <laughs> um, but we talk about putting our identity in Jesus. Yes. And would you talk a little bit about the importance of putting our primary identity in Jesus and why that makes a difference, especially in relation to racial identity and conversations around race and some of these types of things. So if you could give us some insight or your experiences kind of around that, putting our primary identity in Jesus. Absolutely. You know, it's interesting because a lot of times when you are biracial, whether you're white and black or white and Asian or black and Asian, there's this natural pull within that person to maybe want to or try to or feel like they have to identify with one or the other. And my parents did an amazing job of making sure that my sisters and I, I'm the oldest of four girls, that my sisters and I fully understood, appreciated, and loved that we were both. 
that we didn't have to choose one or the other. And we grew up, like I said, in the 80s where there was not an option to choose that you were multi-ethnic on any kind of school form or medical form, right? You either were white, black, or Hispanic. In fact, my mother would always choose both white and black. And every time our form would come back black, 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 black. We didn't have a choice in essence, mm-hmm. right? It's like the world wants you to choose one or the other. And you even within those cultures, you even feel sometimes the pull to choose one or the other. But my parents always instilled in us that we embraced and loved, that we were both and, and to embrace both cultures and love both cultures. But ultimately, the ability to do that, because it wasn't easy, especially when, like I said, you have the pull from so many around you to, to choose to pick one or the other. Ultimately, my father and mother taught us that my primary identity was in Christ Jesus, that it was in God above anything else, because being white isn't perfect and being black isn't perfect. Ultimately, the only perfect identity is the one that we have in Jesus. And we know in, the, in my book that I write is really standing on Galatians 3, 26 through 29, is that where the word says that we are sons and daughters of God through Christ Jesus. And therefore there is no Jew or Gentile. There is no rich or poor. There is no slave or free. There is no male or female. There is no white or black, right? Ultimately in Jesus. And so remembering that our primary identity is in God and that we're a co-heir to Christ, really all other identities are just secondary. They're just less, it's less than, And, you know, sometimes we choose to walk in a less than identity, whether it's our race or or other, you know, titles that we place on ourselves or that we fall into. But ultimately, our our number one identity is in Christ. And it's important that we are looking, you know, horizontally up to God for identity and not across. And I do write that, you know, sometimes when we do walk out or, you know, label ourselves as you know, our gender, our race, or, you know, all the other, you know, titles that we can place on ourselves. it's really easy to walk in a fence because you have someone, if I title myself as a Republican or a Democrat, as soon as someone of the other side of the perspective walks in the door or speaks their thoughts or their opinions or their thoughts or their ideas, we are automatically, you know, walk in a fence, right? If I'm labeling myself as a my particular denomination, right? The other denomination walks in and shares their their ideas or their thoughts or their perspective. I'm automatically offended. And it's easier to find ways to be offended or find ways to exclude others that don't fit in that category, right? And so it's so important for us to walk and know who we are in Christ Jesus first. And so that we're not taking on offenses of these secondary and less than identities. It's important for us to love and have compassion and do something about the injustices that we see, you know, within people groups and cultures, because that's what Jesus would do. That's what he did do. But it's important for us not to take on the offenses of these other titles or identities that we label ourselves and divide ourselves up here on earth. You know, the, the scripture easily says, just because you're not the nose doesn't mean you don't have, you know, uh, as much of an impact as the eyes or the ears or the left, right? And we're not going to be divided in, in, in heaven by our different you know, identities. We're all one in Christ Jesus. Yeah, that is so good. That is so good. I, I love that. I, I love that idea, though, that how it affects how we carry ourselves and mm-hmm. how we can respond because right. those other identities are important. I mean, our racial identity is important. Our political yeah. affiliations, our denominations, if that's something that's serious, you know, all of those things and our careers and being a parent and being a spouse. I mean, all of those identities are really they're important. Absolutely. But when they're primary, 
as right. soon as you, like you say, you know, talk bad about fill in the blank, mm-hmm. offended versus, well, I'm actually in Jesus, which actually requires me now yeah. to respond in a way yes. that I don't have to be offended because one, it's not about me personally. And, and, and two, I've been called to a different way of living. I've been called to a different way to respond. And I'm not saying any of this is easy. Absolutely. It's not, this is not easy stuff. No, it's not. We so simply put other things in front of Jesus. Um, you know, it's interesting. I'm going to ask you a quick question because our, our daughter, my wife is Hispanic. So our daughter is mixed Yeah. as well. And She's never, she's never really, my mom one time bought or made her a doll, like a life-size doll. It was so awesome. Like she made yeah. her daughter this life-size doll and she put blonde hair and blue eyes on the doll. And this was going to be her sister. She said, no, your sister, blonde hair, blue eyed sister. Yes. And yes. Annika, our daughter looks at it and goes, that's not my sister. She has blue eyes. <laughs> I have dark hair and brown eyes. <laughs> she's really a little kid. Like it's not like she's right. not great and has come kind of this. She kind of as a, a response at say three, I'm gonna say, or four, was right. like, I can't be my sister because she doesn't yeah. she doesn't look like me. So yes. I'm just curious as you grew up, like what was was there a struggle kind of there? Oh my goodness, absolutely. There were no biracial caramel colored dolls when we were growing up or cartoons. You know, I think about, you know, we spent, I don't know the kids watch cartoons anymore, but when we watched cartoons in the 80s and 90s, right, no cartoon character looked like us. And, you know, the dolls we played with were either blonde hair, blue eyed, or, and if there was an African-American doll, you know, many times it looked like a doll that came straight from Africa, right? So it didn't even really look like my African-American family members. And so I remember, I think my first black Barbie doll, I was eight years old. And I remember looking at her like, this is weird. And I remember my black aunts and uncles looking at me and saying, why do you think that's weird? You know, and I'm, and, and I want to say, because I've never seen a black Barbie doll before, <laughs> you know, all of them up to this point were blonde hair and blue eyes. So definitely, I think into my early teen years was the first time we'd see like maybe like Hawaiian dolls. And so that was maybe like the closest to our skin tone, but yeah. no, absolutely. Or just even, you know, people on t- the, the TV shows that I've watched growing up, right. No one looked like me um, as well. So absolutely. There's, there's definitely a, a struggle there growing up as a child and wanting to see, and you not even knowing it, you don't know that you want to see someone that looks like you, but it's really neat now that when I speak or have engagements and I have young girls who are biracial, they come up to me and say, wow, I, you look like me, you look like me. And you, you don't even un- realize how important it is for children to see someone that looks like them and know, Hey, I can, I can do that one day too. If she can, or he can, I can do that too. Yeah. That's so good. And I will say that my mom took her sister home yeah, and replace <laughs> the hair with brown hair and and put brown and colored in blue eyes. So her 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 sister, she she's like, okay, well, let me go ahead and fix that. And so, so oh, I love that. Extremely talented, she did. She she. I love that. She I love that. So that's wonderful. What um, a wonderful mother you have. Yes, she she is, and 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 I'll just send it back to your statement about offense. My mother meant no offense. It, right. it wasn't like she set out to like, oh, Annika's going to love this. It's mm-hmm. it, it was just, uh, you know, my mom's just making it all. And that was 
the gesture of what your mom had known and seen and had. And yes. And by the way, I used to be blonde. <laughs> I was a toehead growing up and my mom had blonde hair. So yes. I mean, that was in our, so anyway, with all that. Absolutely. Said, no, it needs um, to be a safe space to have those conversations. And like you said, to assume the best, assume positive intent. And then the hat, and then your mom would have such a sweetheart to say, "Oh, I, you know what? You're right. Let me go and let me change this for her." You know, yeah. so yeah. on both sides, right? It takes on both sides to be give that safe space and yeah. um, positive intent for sure. So true, and I think I think that's that's such an intelligent statement is that idea that we have to walk into or that thinking that somebody is has positive intent until they prove otherwise. Right. And they might not have positive intent and that, that right. might be true. But if I, if I go into it thinking they do until proven otherwise, right. it allows me to be more emotionally settled and respond better Absolutely. when you find out otherwise and yeah, Absolutely. You, you can, you can adjust from there. So I'm going to kind of transition here. We're still going to stay on a fence a little bit, but mm-hmm. you might've heard this, this term uh, or the statement of, uh, my continuing to be unforgiving of somebody is like drinking poison and expecting the mm-hmm. other person to die. Mm-hmm. And stories that I've experienced, stories that you know you've heard of people who just will not let go of something that they mm-hmm. they just hang on to that. And you, you at some point you have to realize, well, wait a second, that person doesn't care. Like they they don't even know that I'm still bothered by what they did. And I'm just curious when we talk about overcoming offense. Do you have examples in your life of overcoming offense and like kind of how how that has lived itself out? There's too many. There's too many to describe, Elliot. (laughs) Just pick one. (laughs) Just yesterday, my oldest son, (laughs) you know, um, I will say, uh, you know, if we if we can breathe air, we are going to be offended. You know, people are going to say things and offend us regardless of it can be the gamut you know, the spectrum for sure. Um, you know, I will say, I feel like God has given me such a extra level of grace and mercy in this space. And, and maybe it perhaps it has a lot to do with what I had to endure growing up and, and walking that tough walk that I'm not moved by a lot of things, if that makes sense. You know, I'm the firstborn. And so you're firstborn, you, you jump in right with your parents, you can help raise your siblings and move around often and having difficult times, you just learn to adapt and move on. And so, but I will say that, um, you know, I think the deepest offenses that took me like years to, you know, heal from were probably one, you know, friendship, family members, right? That you're like, God, I need you to help me because this has gone on like for years. But I remember, you know, one example that I would say that I would share of offense is, you know, I remember younger that there was a particular person that was being very blatant about making fun of my ethnicity and she was intentional to shame me in front of people she was making fun of me she wanted I mean she was bullying me in front of a large crowd of people and and putting me down and you know I'm, I'm generally very positive you know joyful person and I didn't know how to handle that especially when you're being made fun of in front of a large group of people I remember you know everyone standing there looking at me and only one person came to my rescue it was my my friend she was Korean you know and I can I can only bet that she understood what that felt like so she's the one that came to my rescue and I was so hurt by that and very offended however 
because I love people so much. <laughs> um, I ended up befriending this person. I ended up becoming her friend and loving her and meeting her where she was at. And here's the funny part, Elliot. She was biracial too. She had a white mother and a black father, but wow. she, she, she didn't look, she looked like Mariah Carey. So Mariah Carey can pass is Caucasian, right? She straightens her hair, depends on you do makeup, how you dress. And this is how this young lady looked. She looked like she was white, but she was biracial. And I come to learn that she came from a broken family. Her father, her black father was not even present in her life. She moved around all the time. And I ended up befriending her and loving her and meeting her where she was at and becoming probably her only real friend until she moved away in what was, you know, very much her own broken family. And I think the lesson I learned from that is that people tend to hate, you know, and they share hate and show hate because of the hate they have inside. And so that was a big learning lesson for me is that, you know, one, people tend to be, say things that are just really stupid and they don't really mean it, or they're just flat out ignorant. Um, and, you know, ultimately people who really do hate is because they hate something with inside of themselves. And so um, I feel like I've been blessed to not hold on to any type of offense really too long um, because really at the end of the day, I, I, I try to pursue after the heart of Jesus as hard as I can, because I want to be free. Like you said, it's like drinking poison. And those few times that I did not let go of that really painful offense, it was like, I mean, it was killing me. It was killing my soul from the inside out. And I don't want to be in bondage. I fight against being in bondage with everything inside of me. I don't care what it has to do with, whether it's rejection or offense or, in relationships or fear, I, I fight against it with every, every being, everything inside of me with the help of the Holy Spirit. So, um, you know, offense, I feel like is part of that. If you're going to be free, you cannot live in offense. There's, you cannot walk out the destiny in your life if you're walking in offense. Yeah. Yeah. That is so good. Yeah. It's, um, I always try to keep a clean slate with people and it's not, it's not always possible. And yeah. Uh, but at least try to do your part, right? To, to go yes. to heal the relationship and do some stuff yes. to make things right. And, and, and sometimes they accept it and you move on and everything goes right. well. Uh, yes. and, and sometimes they don't. But for in those times, I'm like, well, I, I'm pretty sure I've done my part now. Like I've yes. at least done. And if there's something more, Lord, bring it to my mind. Like, Holy Spirit, if I have something else I yes. need to do to make this right and give it another try, I will. Yeah. Um, man, I am a person of clean slate. Like it, it yes. kills me when there are relationships that are either broken or damaged. Yes. Um, you know, we, I have one right now, which I don't think it's damaged, but I'm not sure. So I think I need to make a yeah. phone call. And so yeah. <laughs> it's kind of in that awkward spot where like, yes, stuff kind of went down. Yeah. We cleared, but I haven't heard from the person in about a month. And so yes. I probably ought to give him a call and just give him a call and see, you know, <laughs> it make it, it's only what you can do on your end because, you know, and you read this, like, as I shared it in the book, there was a relationship that I was hurt over and I went to her and her response to me was <laughs> I'm thinking her response to me was going to be oh Letitia I'm so sorry I love you so much let's put this behind me I've just been pain I've been wounded and her response to me was we were never really friends anyway 
That was her response. And I thought she was one of my dearest friends. I mean, I would have put her in the category of one of my dearest friends. Like we shared like deep secrets that we didn't even tell our own family members. And her response to me was, we were never really friends anyway. And so you're right. Sometimes you're not going to reconcile that relationship, but you have to keep your slate clean on your side. I, I had to forgive her and allow, you know, give her to God and, and move on. And that was really hard because, you know, I love to reconcile and be, you know, it's in my DNA to reconcile and be in relationship with people. So that was, that was really hard. Oh, that's, I can't imagine like that's, that is one that, and it would take time for me anyway, it would take time to come to resolution around that. I mean, I don't know, those feel like words that would, would, would circle around in my head and yes. I don't know why it happens to me in the shower in the morning more time. <laughs> yes. Why am I dishes. this right now? <laughs> this is ridiculous. So uh, yes, yeah, absolutely. That's, that's, absolutely. Uh, so going to transition us here again. Um, mm -hmm. We talk about, you talk about unity in your book. Um, yeah. And the funny thing about unity is you can't do it by yourself, right? Like unity yes. requires, you know, relationship, community, bringing people together, but relationships get messy. We're kind of talking about that right now. Yeah. Um, and especially if we come from different backgrounds, we come from places, whether it's different cultures, different countries, it can get messy. You, you have to have right. people have best intentions, right? Absolutely. You have a quote from your husband that I loved. <laughs> Better to understand than to be understood. And for me, that has a lot to do with how we overcome some of these differences and backgrounds and, and a lot of stuff in relationship. But tell me about that statement. It's better to understand than <laughs> to be understood. Kind of yes. how does that live itself out? Absolutely. Yeah, you know, I, I put it in the book, but I have to start by saying I hated that saying for so many years because I'm the talker in our marriage and he's the listener. And so in essence, every time he said that to me, I felt like he was saying, you talk more than you listen. <laughs> and he was right. <laughs> you know, so often, Elliot, you know, and it's natural, right? So often we hear someone talking about anything, we stop listening immediately to what they're saying. And we start thinking of what are we going to say? What's our comeback? Or, uh, you know, as soon as you talked about that, you're a 49ers fan, right? I want to start talking about Russell Wilson being my quarterback for, you know, the Seahawks and that we went to the Super Bowl that year. You know, you, you stop listening and, and we do a poor job as humanity of, of listening. And even more so, we want to we want to be understood more than we're willing to understand what the other person is saying and where they're coming from and their under their belief or their opinion or their life experiences. We don't really want to hear those. We just want to prove what we have to say. We want people to know what we are saying. And you know what my husband was saying in that is many times when you stop and you understand what the other person is saying, then it will actually create a bridge. It, you can resolve issues. You, you understand really what is the root cause here. When, when, when I listen, when I stop, I'm, I'm, I'm stopping and I'm digesting what is really being said, what's really going on in their life, right? And I can empathize maybe with what they're really saying, the root cause here and their life experience and their thoughts. And when I hear their heart, because I'm taking the time to listen and understand, 
I can find ways then to reconcile, to find a solution. If I stop and say, if I hear what you're, if I, if I hear what you're saying, Elliot, I think what you're saying is X, Y, Z. It's, you know, versus, well, before you're done talking, Elliot, I need you to know my position on this. Right. And so listening and no, and, and believing that it's better to understand really what's going on versus trying to be understood can really resolve so many arguments. It can really reconcile. It can bring unity, can bring solutions, not only in our personal lives, but in our professional lives. You know, many times you can walk into a business meeting and if you're just trying to prove what you think should be done versus listening to the people and hearing the hearts, you know, there's ways to find solutions there. Um, so um, I'm, I'm very grateful now that my husband has taught me that phrase. It's better to understand than to be understood. <laughs> yeah, no, and, and that even circles back to the story about the girl who was bullying you at school, right? That right. You're trending. And I'm, I'm assuming right. back then you had to hear mm -hmm. and, and see and know that, well, there's a lot of anger there. Like there's right. something below the surface of what's coming out of this. Absolutely. And, um, and if we Absolutely. can get to that idea that, you know, hurting people hurt, right? That, that, yes, right? yes, and, yes. I'm trying to get beneath the surface a little bit. It really does. Like you say, it creates empathy. And now Absolutely. when we move to a point where one of us can have empathy, then, you know, yes. like you said, then we can find these solutions. We can cross these bridges that yes. seem like they were impossible. And I'm also convinced that, for the most part, humans, we want kind of all the same things, like just right. in general, no matter where I've been or who I've talked to, you know, we want our kids to thrive, right? We want to have enough to live. Uh, you know, we want to, you know, live at peace for the most part, like all of these things. Um, and how we go about getting those looks different, right? And so I think that's why sometimes we say, oh, well, that person is because, well, they, they, they want the same thing you do. Absolutely. The of getting there is different than yours is. Right. And so how do we learn to understand, respect, recognize that, you know, it's, it looks different, but it's not, it's not as different as you might think. And Absolutely. Absolutely statement that my daughter hates that I say is I will say it's different it's not wrong because we're so yeah. so tempted to say oh that's wrong what you're doing is wrong well no 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 it may not be wrong it might be wrong but it's probably just different right right it's just different right. than you do it it's and so just because it's different doesn't mean that what they're doing is wrong it's just yeah you would choose to do it and so how do we open our mind to hear that so I like that Kind of in that you touched on it a little bit. I'd love you to kind of bring it out a little, you know, expand on it. But that idea of being an ally for somebody or a group, that, that term allies it, used all the time these days. And it, it really is a, and a, it's a great word. And I'd love you to talk a little bit about what does that look like? What does it look like to be an ally for you know, a people group, uh, whatever it might be, but like, would, would you talk about what it looks like to defend somebody, be an ally for somebody? Absolutely. And, you know, um, when when countries enter into war, generally wars are won with the help of an ally. And so whether it's the fight over voting for, you know, women or voting for people of color, just the different, you know, let's just say injustices or oppression or even fighting for children, it takes an ally many times to win that war, whatever that war looks like. 
And so it, it, it goes back to looking at, you know, what, what injustices or obstacles or oppression are people or people groups finding themselves in that's not allowing them to be all that God called them to be, right? We are free in Christ Jesus. Um, that said, we're still on this earth and we have to walk out what, you know, the, the obstacles that we face here on earth. And so where are people in this earth not able to live as freely as Christ died for them to live? And so that, that an ally looks like extending your love and extending forgiveness and extending reconciliation and extending resources, right? Speaking up, standing in the gap for someone who can't speak for themselves. And that may look different. It may be, you know, it could be a teenage girl. How do you stand in the gap and be an ally for a teenage girl that may look like she's running off the tracks a little bit because she doesn't have the support she needs. Maybe it's a fatherless boy. Maybe it's a single mom. Maybe it's someone who's not a citizen of your country, right? It could be white, black, Hispanic, Asian, Indian. You know, ultimately, where is the the obstacles here on earth or the enemy, or we can say, taking advantage of someone or a people group to not be able to live out the life that God called for them? And how can you utilize your resources, your voice, you know, your strengths, what you overcome, um, your your influence, your impact to be an ally and stand in the gap for that for that person or that people group. That's great. That's great. And I've always been of the mind that you know, with a lot of I kind of go to the whole Spider Man thing, like with 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 great power comes great responsibility, right? Yes. And there are people who've been given the blessing of education and yes. wealth and position and influence and those types of things and. I don't believe God gives that to us to keep for ourselves, right? right. Okay, let That's me have right. a bigger house or, you know, let me, you know, know more people. It, That's right. It's to use those resources. So really, all of those are resources, right? Yes. All the resources and how do we use to go out and build the kingdom of God around places yes. where people are not thriving? And how how do we step in the gap with our, again, you know, our influence, our our, our our, our education, our, where we were born. I mean, that's always been a crazy one to me, especially yes. like, how did I get born in Livermore, California to yes. mom and dad uh, right. versus I could have been born in Nicaragua. I could have been born. In right. Yeah. I could have been born in <laughs> any other places and my life would look different. And I need to take those. We need to take those kind of absolutely benefits and use them to benefit others. Absolutely. Because, you know, the same saying of that hurt people, hurt people will heal people, heal people. Right. And so the loving people who feel love, love people and free people, free people. And God uses, you know, a lot of times we, people want just like this miracle to fall down from heaven when ultimately, usually God uses people to do his work. Right. And that's whether you're being set free or knowing your calling or no, understanding your identity or um, overcoming oppression. He uses people. He, we are the instruments that he uses in the earth. And that's what being an ally and being a good steward looks like. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So true. All right. Here's my last question for you. OK. What's exciting you right now? What project trend Bible verse, something happening in your family? But what's in, what's encouraging you? What's exciting you right now? Okay. Well, I love, I love this one so much, Elliot, because I am in the process of preparing to write another book. Yay. (laughs) I'm really excited about this. And this one is about our purpose. You know, I think there's so many people, whether you 
are, you know, a believer or not that don't know ultimately their identity, their purpose? Why are they here? It's such a big question. Why was I even born? Right. Why was I born in California versus anywhere else? And uh, I'm, I'm really excited about this. I would I would say the Bible verse that, you know, that really has encouraged me right now. It's It's a combination of verses, but it's it's a few places said in the Bible. Abraham says it, Moses says it, Samuel says it, and Isaiah say it. And it's when God calls their name and they say, here I am. And that phrase in Hebrew is a saying, it's hineni. And what it means is it's not just here I am physically in California or here I am physically in Texas. It means, it means spiritually. It means purposefully, here I am. What do you call? What's your ask? I will go, I will do, I will obey, I will trust, I will believe, and I will worship you no matter what it is. It's like a soldier answering to his king, Lord King, what do you say? And no matter what you ask of me, my answer is yes, I will go. And so I'm very encouraged by that because it's typically an activation of a call, right? It's an activation of an assignment. And I, I believe it, you know, the Lord really wants us to answer that every morning when we wake up, what do you have for me today? Where do you, here I am, whether it's go to the left or go to the right, or whether it's to talk to the lady at the grocery store or encourage my neighbor, what do you have me? I will go and I will trust you and I'll believe you. And I love that because in your, as you walk out your purpose, you, you generally find people in three different categories. One, I don't know that I have a purpose or I don't believe I have a purpose. I don't even know why I'm here. I don't know I was born. And so it's encouraging people to even know that they were born and they're fearfully and wonderfully made and they have a purpose and God created them for a purpose. And then it's the next category of, I don't really know what my purpose is. You know, what's the will of God on my life and helping them discover and seek and ask and knock. What is that? And learn, you know, who God created them to be in this earth. And then last is, I, I, God's told me, I know what it is, but I'm, I'm, I'm having to walk out the faith walk. I'm having to obey. I'm having to trust. I'm having to worship. Even when lo it looks like there's absolutely no opportunity and there's no, no, no door open right now, because it, it can be really cool when God says, I want you to write a book or I want you to run to be the president, or I want you to start a new business or new company. And it looks like there's no opportunity or it looks like there's, it's not going to happen. And so really focusing on that faith walk of saying, no matter what you ask me, God, like Abraham, I waited for this promise for 25 to 50 years. And you asked me to sacrifice my son. I'm going to get up early tomorrow. I'm going to obey. I'm going to trust you. And I'm going to worship you no matter what, because I believe you are who you say you are. And so um, that's my encouragement right now, especially in the midst of, you know, everything that's going on in the earth and having that hope and that saying, God, I know, I believe you who you say you are, and I'm going to walk out whatever you ask me to walk out. I believe I have a purpose here in this earth. And I'm going to, I'm going to share that with every person that I know that they too have a purpose and that you created them for a special assignment while they're here on earth. Well, two things. One, you're preaching right now. So that was awesome. <laughs> that was great. I, I see and I feel the passion. Chills, man. That is so, that is great. Awesome. I'm a, I'm a little passionate about purpose. So it's really funny, Elliot, because this this subject is what I really thought I would write a book about years ago. And so, you know, God is God and like God does and comes and says, hey, I want you to write a book about something you thought you'd never write about. So I'm really excited about it. Right. Well, when that book is out, we would love you to join our podcast again. Oh, I'd be more about it. Um, so. I'm excited. I'm excited to read that book too. Whenever, whenever that, uh, whenever that comes out. So, 
Awesome. Leticia, thank you so much for your time today. This is awesome, Ellie. I so appreciate it. Yeah, this has been great. Hey, everybody, go out today and let's live faith first. Hey, thanks for listening to our Groundswell podcast. If you found this podcast helpful, make sure to subscribe and leave a review. Reviews help other people find us, and we're trying to get the word out. We would love it if you would also share this episode on your social or your favorite text chain. Make sure to check out our weekly Groundswell videos at our YouTube channel. We make it easy for you to find all of our socials, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, YouTube. It's all at Live Faith First. Even our website is livefaithfirst.org. So wherever you're searching for us, type in Live Faith First, you'll find us there. Thanks again for joining us, and we'll see you in a few weeks. In the meantime, Live Faith First. Faith First.